This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. Oh my gosh, I just realized when I sat down to record this episode that it's been three weeks since we last talked. A lot has happened since then. Have I recorded a podcast since my trip to Mexico? I think I was like, I need a break. I'm on the brink. And I rolled out. But I can't remember if I updated you on that trip. If I didn't, it was amazing. I went with a few girlfriends. It was the four of us. And we rented this private house maybe an hour and 15 minutes outside of Cabo. Like we drove 45 minutes from the airport. And then we went 30 minutes down this dirt road that had cows in the road. Like we were in the middle of nowhere. We were there for about five days. And I think in that time, we probably saw five people Two people walking on the beach, the housekeeper, and then the two private chefs that came in every day to feed us. But that was it. We were in the middle of nowhere, right on the beach, this huge all-white compound, masked off. It was perfect. It was exactly what I needed. I hadn't been out of the country for almost a year. And for someone who used to travel a lot, you know, I'll hop on a plane and go anywhere. COVID and being confined and this mask wearing and everything shutting down like it it really gets to me sometimes and i'm very um i'm very thankful that i have work to be overwhelmed with but it's a lot sometimes between like the work and the life and the global pandemic and the racial reckonings and all the things that are going on like it just just adds up sometimes so i needed a break and Thank you to the the 98% of you who were very supportive and were like, sis, do what you need to do. We'll be here when you get back. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm back. I'll be consistently back for a while. Um, For the 2% that, you know, we're like, well, where's my podcast? It's, girl, stop. But it was a good, good getaway. It was just being with sister friends and being on the beach, like I'm a cancer, water just soothes me, you know? But just being around like good friends and eating good food and and drinking good liquor and having great conversation, it's restorative. Since I've been back, I've been kind of running nonstop, even though I haven't been doing the podcast. I've been working a lot. Last week I was, actually last week I was in DC. The week before that, I was in Atlanta for work. When I got back from Mexico, I had 36 hours to run some errands and flip my suitcase around and and pack for Atlanta. I had to be on set down there for 
I don't think I can announce it yet. When they tell me I can announce it, I will announce it. It was a good project. I had a great time. Me and my manager went down to Atlanta for the shoot, and I ended up staying for a few extra days because so many of my friends live in Atlanta, and I just wanted to catch up with them. Atlanta is interesting right now. If anyone wonders why the COVID cases, I think today it was, I think the third or fourth day in a row, it keeps breaking the previous day's overall COVID case record. I think yesterday was 144,000 up from like 110,000 cases the day before. I watched CNN compulsively. 44 out of 50 states are surging in COVID cases. Like throughout the the Midwest and the South, it's like 90% occupancy at hospitals. It's worse than it was in the beginning. But so if you want to know why, it's because of places like Atlanta. And I have nothing against Atlanta. I'm just, it's the place that I was in. And it's much different from LA that is also surging, even though it's much more closed than Atlanta is. But Atlanta is wide open. Like there is not a global pandemic. Like there is not a virus that is making people sick and killing a lot of people left and right. Like it's, it's business as usual. Like the clubs are open, the strip clubs are open, the restaurants are not social distancing. I went out to meet one of my really good friends at this Caribbean spot and my manager and I walked in and the bar didn't even have plexiglass. So we were like, well, okay, so maybe we'll, you know, we'll just sit at our table. And the hostess came over and was like, oh, well, your table's right here. And it was in between two other tables that were like really, really close together. And I was like, "Mm mm-mm. In L.A., you still can't eat inside. Like, you can go to a restaurant, but everything is open air. So this was not open air, which I was already paranoid about. So we ended up standing in a corner, and my friend showed up, and we were, you know, chit-chatting and drinking and talking, and we were there in our little corner together. And I looked up at one point, and I was like, yo, this place is packed. And no one had on a mask. All the seats around the bar were taken. There was a whole bunch of people who weren't waiting for tables, maybe like 40 or 50 people just hanging out, chilling like at the bar. And I was like, yo, this is a cesspool. Like I put on my mask and was like, I have to go now. Like check, please. I went out another night to um, celebrate with my sister. I call her my sister, but she's not blood, but she's my sister nonetheless. And that place was social distance, so that was fine. But when we were leaving, there was, like, mad traffic. And I was like, what are all these people doing? Like, she was like, she was like, girl, they partying. She was like, girl, they out. Nothing is closed. So from Atlanta, I went to D.C., and I stayed with my parents for about a week or so. And I had all my podcast equipment with me when I was in D.C. I was sitting down to tape Wednesday night or, or Thursday morning, and the election had happened. CNN was saying that Joe Biden was likely the winner, but they were hesitating to call it because they were still counting mail-in ballots. I was like, I can't talk about anything but this election. And if I do a whole podcast about something related to the election and CNN calls it the next morning, everything that I just talked about will be irrelevant. So no, I think like most of the country, I was watching the news compulsively. Like I went to sleep with it. I woke up in the middle of the night to check. I got up in the morning. It was the first thing I turned on. But finally, Saturday morning, I was, sitting, I was sitting in the bed looking for art for my apartment on Etsy, because that's what I do in my downtime. And Wolf Blitzer casually announced that CNN was calling the election for President-elect Joe Biden. 
I exhaled. I just felt this this weight that has been on my shoulders for I can't remember how long. Like I just felt like <sighs> it wasn't like when Barack got elected. It was more like finally this particular brand of bullshit that the occupant offers is coming to an end. I have no expectations that Joe Biden is going to be perfect. I understand he will make mistakes. I also understand that he is a career politician. He's been in D.C. I think for 48 years, which is longer than I've been alive. He is problematic in many ways. He's not very progressive, but he ain't Trump. That counts for a whole, whole lot. And even in just the less than a week, because I'm recording this on Thursday, November 12th, even in just the week he's been in office, I've watched his press conferences. He uses full sentences. He's not belligerent. He's not going off on the press. He's answering questions in a reasonable fashion. He's using logic. He has compassion. And I miss that. And, and that is just a whole fuck of a lot better than what we've been dealing with. He also acknowledged the black vote that put him over the top, which I was like, say what now? Because I don't think I've ever heard that before. But he acknowledged that like Detroit and Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, because people always focus on like just Philadelphia, but there's black people in other places. But the blacks of Pennsylvania and the blacks of Georgia, Georgia voted Democrat for the first time since 1992. The blacks of Georgia, not just Atlanta, black folks turned out in droves for this man, in droves. We, we were owed a thank you, especially black women. I think it was 91% of black women voted for Biden. Yes, thank black women. We deserve a thank you. Thank you. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris, she wrote a specific tweet thanking black people, thanking black women for showing up and for showing out. And I was like, oh, this is new. This is different. I don't expect Joe Biden to be a savior. He ain't Trump. Trump is evil as fuck. I'm saying Joe Biden is problematic. Lesser of two evils does not mean the same kind of evil. But watching Joe Biden press conferences, I don't yell random epithets at the screen. I, I don't struggle to understand his lack of logic. I think if he does nothing else, he will get this vaccine distributed and get us out of COVID hell. Speaking of the vaccine, Pfizer announced, oh, and by the way, we've been doing research trials of this drug and it's 90% effective so far. We're still working out some kinks, some FDA approvals, but it could be to market before the end of the year. The Trump administration tried to take credit and they were like, yes, you know, with Operation Warp Speed, real name, not making that up. Operation Warp Speed, working with Pfizer, we got this done. And then Pfizer was like, we didn't take money from you, which is kind of semantics because Pfizer actually does have a deal with Operation Warp Speed. New York Times had a really great article about it. But essentially, Pfizer didn't take money from the government up front, but they were encouraged by the government to come up with a vaccine because whoever comes up with one gets $2 billion in federal dollars. So Pfizer didn't take money on the front end, but Pfizer's taking money on the back end, just to be clear. Because Pfizer got real haughty and was like, we took no money, but you're going to take money, which... Look, if y'all come up with a vaccine that can get us out of our damn houses, $2 billion from Trump to get me out this house, take it. I don't care. Just get me out this house. 
Because like I said, COVID is on the rise. The other day I was driving, an emergency alert went off on my phone, scared the living shit out of me. I thought something was wrong with my car. It was a message from Mayor Garcetti reminding us to social distance and wear a mask because COVID cases are on the rise. I received the alert as I was driving to the grocery store because I've been gone forever. My fridge was empty. I, I got to the grocery store. There were two bottles of Windex left. There were two packages of paper towels left. I got one. There's maybe five bleaches left. No Lysol. And I was like, oh, between the emergency alert and like the lack of stuff at the grocery store on a Tuesday night, I was like, oh, we about to shut down again. Oh, okay. Which I, I don't enjoy being stuck in my house, but, but I also don't want to die. And I also don't want anyone else to die. So if we need to be confined to our houses again to live, so be it. I will probably get on a plane and go back to D.C. It's one thing to be sitting up in the suburbs where you got room to roam. But sitting up in the loft, and I love the loft. Don't get me wrong. I love my place. But I have to put on a mask like as soon as I step out my door versus at least in my parents' house. Like I can walk around the neighborhood with no mask. I might see one other human, maybe two, on a busy day. If that has to happen, then it does. But I trust Biden to get us out of it more so than I do the occupant. Who, by the way, has not acknowledged that Biden won the election. He's, he's saying that there was voter fraud. His lawyers are suing in all the different states. It's going nowhere. The cases are being thrown out. They have no concrete examples of of widespread voter fraud. It's ridiculous. And not just the occupant. Most of the GOP are not acknowledging that Biden won, which, you know, acknowledging is semantic. But Trump is also holding up the transition money. It's keeping Biden from being able to do the background checks for people in his cabinet, which is important. It's also keeping him from being briefed on security measures for the United States. He's supposed to get the same briefings that the president gets so that he's up to date on January 20th when he takes office. So it's not just like, oh, I need you to acknowledge me. He cannot do that. But sir, release the funds and release the security briefings so that when Biden takes office, it's a smooth transition of power. But he's not doing that. The Biden campaign is trying not to alarm people. And they're like, oh, we can work around. We're fine. We'll be ready to go on day one. But if you don't have the security briefings, you're going to be kind of behind the curve. It's, it's, it's not your fault, but it's just the fact of the matter. So it's just childish, childish, narcissistic bullshit. Sir, you lost. You have lost the popular vote by four states and about four million people. Stop this shit. Stop. But he has not stopped. And I, I don't expect that he will stop anytime soon. This woman on my Facebook page, and I can't remember exactly what we were talking about. Maybe it, was, maybe it was we were talking about love languages. Some people like acts of service. Some people like physical touch. And, and the woman pointed out, and she was like, some people's love language is chaos and confusion. Like, that's what they thrive in. Some people are at their best when they are loved, word to Aaliyah. Some people are, are at their happiest, at their personal best, when they are full of shenanigans and everyone is running in circles. And I know that Trump is one of those people. He loves chaos. He loves confusion. He loves shenanigans. And I don't know when it's going to come to an end. He's supposed to leave office on January 20th. Let's see how that goes. 
just before I started recording, one of my friends from D.C. sent me sent me a note about the Trump protest that are supposed to be taking place in D.C. this weekend. Look, after I heard Biden won, I went down to the White House to celebrate. I've never seen that many people in my life. Like, you know, I went out for the protest a bunch of times. I was there for the Women's March, like right after Trump got elected. The celebration by the White House, not never in all my years and all my days have I seen that many mofos out in the street. I mean, white mofos, brown mofos, black mofos, everybody was out openly drinking and smoking in the street and the cops were just chilling. Y'all ain't bothering nobody. We ain't bothering y'all. I think they were happy too. I was out with one of my lawyers and we went to a liquor store and we got a, a few bottles of champagne and we're, and we're walking around the streets of DC openly drinking rosé champagne out the bottle walked right by police officers no one bothered me it was great it was it was it was magical it was wonderful but i will say this DC was all boarded up i think they learned something from the protest over the summer cuz i'd never seen DC boarded up like that even during the protest it's even more boarded up now if there was going to be a trump rally a trump protest a trump parade, whatever it is, whatever these Trump people are trying to do in D.C., I hope the city is still boarded up because that is going to be a shit show. Speaking of shit shows, can we talk about the 55% of white women who voted for Trump, which is 2% higher than the number of white women who voted for Trump the first time? After that first election, white women would have had you believe, oh my God, this is an aberration. These numbers can't be accurate. We would never. I went to the Women's March, which was organized by a bunch of brown and black women, FYI. But I went to the Women's March right after that Trump election. Tons of white women upset and angry about Trump. How could this happen? And I was like, well, maybe there are some good white women in the world. There might be a few. But it's like a one and two situation. Like, you might be okay, you ain't. You might be okay, you ain't. I don't know who to trust. 55% after all the shenanigans, all the bullshit, grabbing women by the pussies, the open bigotry, the refusal to denounce racists, the encouragement of racism, children sleeping in cages. None of that shit deterred y'all from voting for this man. A few more of y'all actually said, you know what? I think he's the right choice for me. Nothing about white people should surprise me at this point, but really? More white men were actually like, this is some bullshit. But more white women. Trump don't give two fucks about y'all. Him and Ivanka, those are the only two people he care about. But white women, really? And people are like, well, these women, you know, they vote with their husbands. Overall, more white men bailed on Trump. I, I don't understand this shit. And they were like, oh, well, white women are, are voting to protect their sons and, and protect their husbands. And, you know, that's their safety. So they have to make sure that their safety net is secure. And I was like, is that it? I really don't get it. I'm throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I saw folks talk about Kamala Harris. You know, white women were really upset. They didn't want to see a black woman in the White House before they got into the White House. And I was like, well, they had an opportunity to be in the goddamn White House because Hillary was a good option. You might not have liked everything about Hillary Clinton, but Hillary Clinton, one, was not Trump. Two, was overqualified for the goddamn job. That's a smart white lady. And they didn't vote for her ass. It only went up by 2% against Biden. I don't necessarily think it was like, oh, it was the Kamala. I think one in two white women, more than one in two, slightly more than one in two, just got some serious fucking problems. Like, how do you actively vote against your own best interests this way? I don't understand. 
I just, I just, I will never understand that. I also don't know about these black men who voted for Trump. Now, I wrote something about the white women and people were like, well, you need to talk about black men. I'm going to tell you why I'm not going to drag black men. Because even though more black men voted for Trump this go round than last time, which is some deplorable shit, don't get me wrong. The vast majority, the overwhelming amount of black men, I want to say it was 80% or 82% of black men voted for Biden. They voted against Trump. And while that 18 or 20% of black men who voted for Trump deserves a dragging, one in five is very different from over half of white women. So if anybody's going to be dragged first, it's going to be the white chicks. Because I don't know who's who. I walk around and I'm not sure who's safe and who's not. All that marching, 100,000 people marching through L.A., protests in every state in this country with droves of white people marching in the street on some like racism is wrong. We see it now in June 2020. We see that racism exists and this is wrong. Y'all were out there acting like y'all were allies. Now I'm like, I don't know. I don't know who's an ally. I don't know who's an enemy. Really, I can't trust none of y'all. I'm just going to stick with black folks right now. All black folks ain't safe, but the probability is a lot higher than with white folks. I don't know who's who. Because it's one thing for you to disagree philosophically about how to run government. It's another thing to vote for someone who actively wants to make my black life worse and doesn't give a fuck about me. Half of white women voted for that person. You're not safe. You're not a safe space. White people, get your white people. Black men, go talk to your black men. Go talk to your 20% and find out what happened there and get them in line. Go talk to your devotees of Lil Wayne and Kanye West. You know, Kanye West got some, like 60,000 votes. I don't know what state that was, but 60,000 mofos voted for Kanye West. And I was like, are you serious? Are you serious? People, humans, I do not understand their choices. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're not going to talk about the Latino people as a whole. I am going to give a shout out to the Latinos of Arizona who came out and voted in droves for Biden and flipped Arizona. Thank you, allies. Latinos of Arizona. Latinos of Florida. Fuck y'all. I understand y'all may be considered white where y'all come from. But when y'all get here, y'all not considered that. But when you get to America, they don't like y'all no more than they like us. I do want to talk about one Latina in particular. Your girl, Eva Longoria, she, by and large, across media, and again, Biden and Harris, both acknowledge black people came out for us. Thank you, black people. Eva Longoria's happy ass. I don't know what she was thinking with this. Eva Longoria went on MSNBC the day after the election was called, and she says the women of color showed up in big ways. She added, you saw in Georgia what black women have done, but Latina women were the real heroines here. Girl, what? 
I understand that she wants to big up Latina women. I'm a black woman. I put black women first and foremost. But when I talk about the accomplishments of black women, I don't need to tear down other groups of women in order to be like black women are dope. I don't understand what she was thinking, dragging black women into this conversation. It was very easy to say the women of color showed up in big ways and then go on to be like Latino women showed up and they beat men in the turnout in every state. She continued her sentence to point out that Latino women showed up for Biden-Harris at an average rate of three to one, which is good. Thank you, Latino women. But why did you have to down black women in order to make that point? Why did you have to say that Latina women are the real heroines and not black women? Like, what do you gain by that? Just say Latina women are also heroines here. Girl, she got her ass dragged for that shit. Rightfully so. Rightfully so. She had to come back and apologize. She said, um, I'm so sorry and sad to hear that my comments on MSNBC could be perceived as taking credit from black women. It's not a perception. It's what she said. She continued. When I said that Latinas were heroines in this election, I simply meant that they turned out in greater numbers and voted more progressively than Latino men. My wording was not clear and I deeply regret that. She added, there is such a history in our community of anti-blackness and I would never want to contribute to that. So let me be very clear. Black women have long been the backbone of the Democratic Party, something we have seen played out in this election as well as previous ones. Finally, black women don't have to do it alone any longer. Latinas, many who identify as Afro-Latina, indigenous women, AAPI, what is AAPI? Asian American, Pacific Islander? AAPI women and other women of color are standing with them so we can grow our collective voice and power. Together, we are unstoppable. Nothing but love and support for black women everywhere. You deserve a standing ovation. If she don't do nothing else for a while and I see her consistently standing up for black women, I'll let it go. But for right now, I'm just like, girl, bye. Kerry Washington came to Eva Longoria's defense, which I was like, girl, why are you jumping out in somebody's mess? Kerry tweeted, I know Eva like a sister. We have been in many trenches together. She is a fighter for all women. She was referring to retweeting what I just read to you from Eva Longoria. Carrie said, this is what she meant. This is how she truly feels. Now, I like Carrie Washington. I like her a lot. But I don't understand why she jumped out here for Eva Longoria like that. I have friends that, that say stupid shit on the internet. And I just let their stupid shit stand. Because sometimes you just need to let people stand alone and they're stupid. It don't mean we're not friends. It don't mean I don't support you behind closed doors. It means I'm not jumping out to cape for you after you did some dumb shit. Sometimes you got to stand alone and you're stupid. You did some dumb shit. You take your licks for your dumb shit. You do your apologies for your dumb shit and you keep it pushing. But I don't like the Carrie jumped out and cape for her. It don't take nothing away from how I feel about Carrie. I just feel like this was an instance of Carrie Washington, who again, I love, I respect, I like the Carrie very much. I feel like this is an instance of, of Kerry Washington giving a fuck when it wasn't her turn. Because she's jumping out here for this woman after this woman just, you know, denigrated black women. Clean up your own goddamn mess. Get your mop and your Twitter fingers and clean up your own shit. You don't need some black women coming in to cape for you to clean it up and make it better for you. Shouldn't have said that dumb shit. I appreciate her apology. And again, if she don't do no dumb shit, no time soon. I'll, I'll count this as, you know, she just misspoke. Let's see how she moves going forward.
Oh, one more thing I wanted to talk about with this election. Can we talk about the revenge of Stacey Abrams? Very often, I like to talk about the current political landscape as America's season finale. So many twists and turns with everything that's happening. It's, it's a completely insane cast of characters. And one of the ways that I cope with what's going on is to pretend that it's a scripted series and that all these people are characters. And there is some mastermind writing department creating all these shenanigans for our entertainment as opposed to like this being the life that we actually lead. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was the revenge of Stacey Abrams storyline. Stacey Abrams once ran for the governor of Georgia. She did not win. It was by a very narrow margin. Some people who do not win governor flip the fuck out. They may drink too heavily. They may find themselves in Miami hotel rooms on the floor in their own vomit. We all make mistakes. Stacey Abrams' reaction to losing the governor position was to found an organization called Fair Fight, which registers voters. In the two years since she didn't win governor, she registered 800,000 voters in Georgia. Half of the new voters were under 30 and half were people of color. So this Georgia flipping from red to blue is largely in part from the efforts of Stacey Abrams. Her position as governor was stolen from her. There was a lot of shenanigans that happened with that election. So she didn't get her governor position and she got even. So yes, Georgia, you may have a Republican governor, but Georgia will flip blue and push the margin of the Electoral College far onto the other side to secure a win for Biden. So if you woke up Saturday and you scrolled through your timeline on Instagram and you saw all these people praising Stacey Abrams, that is why. Thank you, Stacey Abrams. Someone on my timeline pointed out and they were like, this is kind of the difference between like, you know, men and women. Women just can't afford to fall apart. Stacey Abrams didn't become governor and she decided to play chess. She enacted a series of moves that cost the Republican Party the presidency. A male counterpart didn't win Florida and spiraled for a bit. He's back. He was hosting the election night coverage on BET, which I was like, earlier this year, you had like a major scandal and now you're back on airwaves hosting election night and I tuned in did a good job the man is smart the man is witty like I can't really be mad at him I'm actually kind of fucking inspired to be quite honest I've seen people have much lesser scandals and be out the game for much longer sir bounce back in the same year I've talked about this on social media a couple times and people were like well yes a black woman could never get away with that you know what though you should try if 2020 has taught me nothing else if the occupant's presidency has taught me nothing else, have more audacity. People be like, well, you know, these are the rules and, you know, there's no way I can transcend them. Try. Give that shit a go and see what happens. Throw that shit at the wall and see what sticks. Try. At least try. Before you count yourself out, try and see what you can get away with. In other political news, our favorite president has a new book coming out. This is his third it's his post-presidential memoir, A Promised Land, 
It's one of two volumes. First one, which comes out next week, is 768 pages. It has been described by President Obama as, quote, an honest accounting of my presidential campaign and my time in office. The key events and people who shaped it, my take on what I got right and the mistakes I made, and the political, economic, and cultural forces that my team and I had to confront then. And that as a nation, we are grappling with still. I do not have an advance of the book, but I've seen many discussions about it. It seems very candid. He talks about his thoughts while laying in bed with Michelle and not like in a nasty way. He talks about the sacrifices that she had to make, how friends and family treated her as secondary to his career ambitions. He talks about the heaviness or the burdens that she carried for him to support him. He talks about race very candidly, which he's been doing lately. He did an HBO special with LeBron and he talked very candidly about race there. So that he addresses it here is not surprising, but he talks about the attraction that people have, some people have for the occupant. And he says, quote, it was if my very presence in the White House had triggered a deep seated panic, a sense that the natural order had been disrupted which is exactly what Donald Trump understood when he started peddling assertions that I had not been born in the United States and thus an illegitimate president. For millions of Americans spooked by a black man in the White House, he promised an elixir for their racial anxiety. I think I'm going to do both with this. I'm going to read it. I still like to read. Like, I like to feel a book. I like to crack it open. I like the sound of it. I like to flip the pages. I like to scribble in the margin with my pen. I like the experience of of reading and carrying a book around. But I also think that I'm going to get the Audible for this one. I'm not like a huge fan of Audible books, but I've been listening to a bunch lately because I'm working on one. I got my master's back, at least the Audible, for A Bell in Brooklyn. Don't Waste Your Pretty is probably the more popular book right now because of the film coming out. But A Bell in Brooklyn was my first book and I put my heart into that book. If you read my my captions or, or posts on social media or you read my articles that I write as a journalist and you think like, oh, she's a good writer. Like the good, good writing is is in A Bell in Brooklyn. It's a near and dear story to me about coming of age in my 20s in New York. So I'm really, really happy to to have my audio masters back for it. And I'm really, really excited about turning it into an audio book and reading it, but sharing it on a different platform, on a much wider platform than even when it was written. And, and it was a big platform then, but it's, it's way bigger now, um, mostly because of you listening to the podcast. But I'm new to the Audible game. And so I've been listening to a bunch of books as of late to figure out my tone and my style and how I want to present A Bell in Brooklyn. So I'll be listening to President Obama's book for for that as well. But I also just really like his manner of speaking. I like his cadence. It's very soothing. I like just the sound of his voice. Like it's it's comforting. It it sounds like a man with sense. I'm ready. I'm ready for this audiobook. I'm actually very, very excited about it. I'll likely review it on a future podcast. If you're also as obsessed with Barack Obama as I am, you can check him out on the Conversations with Oprah on Apple TV. He has a special 
coming up with her where he talks about his book. So I'm really looking forward to that special as well. Also, can we talk for a moment about the marketing of this book? The man's a goddamn genius. Maybe like two or three weeks ago, notably less than a month before this new memoir comes out, Barack Obama goes on the campaign trail to stump for Joe Biden. He gives a series of speeches that have witty one-liners, such as referring to himself as Beijing Barry. He drags Trump for filth. He's in the public eye in a really big way for the first time in a long time, generates thousands of headlines, millions of social media posts, gets tons of free press, and then drops a book two weeks after the election. Genius. It's a genius marketing campaign, even without a global pandemic, but even more so. In the same way that Michelle Obama was doing like stadium status and she was selling out all these huge arenas, you can't do that right now because it's a global pandemic. How do you market a really big book in a really big way in a global pandemic? You just watch what Barack Obama just did. The genius of it all. I love watching smart people do smart shit. It's, I love it. It's genius. Michelle Obama's book sold 10 million copies, I think. I expect that Barack Obama's book will do even more. Kudos to them. There's interesting things going on. The Bachelorette. Have you been following this saga? I only pay attention to The Bachelorette when there's like a black lead, which apparently there is now mid-season. So they started off the season with this white woman, 39-year-old Claire Crawley. She left the show in the middle of production after she fell for one of the contestants. I've only watched one season of The Bachelorette, and that was when the black girl, Rachel, was on it. So the show starts with like, okay, there's a Bachelorette, and she gets 30 prospects to choose from. It goes for six weeks of filming, and she quickly like whittles down her, her choices. I think like something like half the men go on, on the first episode. So on episode one, she meets this guy and she's immediately drawn to him. And through like the next two or three episodes, she's giving this one guy all the attention to the point that the other bachelors notice. At one point, she goes on a group date and she leaves the other guys to go on a makeout session with the guy that she's really feeling. On the most recent episode, the host sits her down and was like, hey, we have all these guys here for you and they're not stupid. They see that you're only paying attention to this one person and we can't continue to go down this path because, you know, basically it's going to ruin the whole show. She was like, yeah, so um, I don't want to date anyone else. She was like, I feel like this guy is my match. Quote, he meets me on the level emotionally of what I'm looking for, everything I want out of a relationship, everything I want out of life. So the host asked her, he was like, yo, so... In your mind right now, like this, the whole bachelorette, like you being here entertaining other men, like it's pointless and this is over. An old girl was like, mm, yeah. And he told her, congratulations, you've just blown up the bachelorette. She goes to old boy. She tells him that she's in love with him. And he was like, great, because I feel the same way. And so she spends the night with him. Oh, and by the way, this guy's black. I don't know if, they, if some people care about that or not. So they spend the night together. She wakes up the next morning and she goes and tells the other 16 men, hey, I know you guys, you know, came out of quarantine to like come date me and like be on this TV show, but I'm not going to do this. I'm running off with old boy and best of luck on finding love. And the guys are like, um, 
Wait, what? So the woman they thought they were going to fall in love with is gone. The bachelorette was like, oh no, we're not losing these advertising dollars. Bring in a new chick. So they brought in a new girl, a black chick. I mean, it's great television. It's a shit show, but it's great television. But I'm only speaking about this because a lot of people hit me up and they were like, well, there's a black bachelorette and you know, you covered Rachel. You said you were going to cover the black guy who's going to be like the first black bachelor. So are you going to cover this chick too? No. I mean, like, yay for the black girl who's getting the sloppy seconds of the white girl. I mean, get your TV shine, find your man, hip hip hooray for you. But no, I just like the shit show of all that's going on. It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a ratchet mess. But maybe it'll clear up because the black girl's there and there's like 16 men left and the bachelorette's going to save their season. We'll see. Or you'll see. I probably won't be watching, you know. There's also a black woman is 007. Remember we were, everybody was asking, like, when can Idris Elba be 007? Or Damson Idris, like, when can he be 007? Like, when are we going to get a black man as, as 007? And it seemed like we just weren't dreaming big enough because the producers of 007 were like, you know what, we're going to go with the black woman. So I was like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. The woman of choice is Lashana Lynch. She confirmed in a recent article with Esquire that she is James Bond's new 007 Haters be damned. That's the title of the article. The No Time to Die star says her role will be very, very revolutionary. Now, Lashana Lynch is an adorable chocolate girl from the UK. She's so cute. The Esquire article begins when rumors began first circulating that Captain Marvel star Lashana Lynch would be taking the title of 007 in the next James Bond film, the response to a loud minority of online trolls was both disgusting and disheartening. Far-right toxic fans complained that a black woman had been given the title of 007, which had previously only been used by white men. Lynch said, quote, it doesn't dishearten me. It makes me feel quite sad for some people because their opinions, they're not even from a mean place. They're actually from a sad place. It's not about me. People are reacting to an idea which has nothing to do with my life. Oh, I'm sorry. Correction. I'm reading this on Esquire. She confirmed the interview in Harper's Bazaar, UK. She told the magazine how she prepped herself emotionally for what would be the inevitable and horrible backlash. She unplugged from social media and reminded herself that disgusting comments were not about her personally. Quote, I am one black woman. If it were another black woman cast in the role, it would have been the same conversation. She would have got the same attacks, the same abuse. I just have to remind myself that the conversation is happening and that I'm part of something that will be very, very revolutionary. That's so sad. Like the biggest accomplishment of her professional life, she has to deal with this shit. God. Of her 007 character, she says, quote, a character that is too slick, a cast iron figure that's completely against what I stand for. I didn't want to waste an opportunity when it came to what Nomi might represent. I searched for at least one moment in the script where black audience members would nod their head, touching at the reality, but glad to see their real life represented. In every project I am a part of, no matter the budget or genre, the black experience that I'm presenting needs to be 100% authentic. Her film is No Time to Die. It's slated for April of 2021, currently scheduled to be in theaters. Hopefully we will be free from our homes 
to watch it on the big screen. I'm excited for her. I also hate that she has to go through this. She should just be able to outright celebrate as opposed to dealing with like a bunch of racists who are too close-minded to imagine 007 is anything other than a white man or even a black man. Because I would bet dollars to donuts that all of the people complaining weren't just white. Black men can sometimes be not so kind when it comes to the advancement of black women. Last but not least, and I don't think I'm actually going to talk about this um, because I've talked about this so many times before and I just don't see much of a point. But it was a big news story. So Pastor John Gray, what day did he do this? It was during a day when no one, absolutely no one was thinking about him or thinking about his wife. He did this last Friday when we were all sitting around waiting for the election results. Biden was up in four states, up by about four million, and we were just waiting for the news to call the election. But for whatever reason, Pastor John Gray decided to hop on, I read it on Facebook. He, he went on Facebook and he decided that that was the day to honor his wife. He posted a beautiful picture of his wife. He said that, that he loves her. He said that he has emotionally cheated on her, but he has never slept with another woman. He's no longer leading his church. He says that church is not the first thing in his life that his wife is. He says his wife is from God. She is a life giver. She is a kingdom builder. Her name is a venter. Sir, we know who your wife is because of all the scandals that have been in the news about you mistreating her. He goes on to say, quote, I never knew what consistent discipline, planning, leadership, manhood, or personal holiness in action from a man's standpoint look like. Let me, let me say this first. We all fall short. We do. But if you didn't know what consistent discipline, planning, leadership, manhood, or personal holiness in action was, why the fuck were you looking for a wife? And also, why the fuck were you in a pulpit? This whole, like, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know discipline, I didn't know planning, I didn't know leadership. So, okay, you didn't know it the first time you did it, right? And you said you went to therapy after that, and you're supposed to work through some stuff. And I understand that therapy is not a magic elixir that immediately fixes all your problems. But after the first time you cheated on your wife and publicly embarrassed your wife, right? And when she got up there and defended you so that you didn't lose your church, you didn't lose your congregation, when she stood by you to cover you, your, your North Face, this two sides is too big. Who covers you, but you not covering her? You didn't learn then. You know, cheating on my wife is a bad idea. You went and did the dumb shit again and got caught again. Sir, you're not good at cheating. Stop. Stop. I'm exhausted. You've exhausted the people. You've, you're exhausting with your shit. People talk about my wife and they say disparaging things about my wife. And I know that's because of me. It is. It is. And when you jumped out here with this latest nonsense, when no one was thinking about you or your lovely wife, people again are talking about your wife because you jump out here with this shit. You want this public acknowledgement. You want these public confessionals. Sir, you cannot handle public. You cannot handle power. You cannot handle the pulpit. You need to go somewhere private and deal with your shit. This constant need for, for validation, this constant need to over-explain, this constant need for, for people, for the forgiveness of the public. We don't live in your home. We don't know you. 
but we know all your shenanigans, one, because you're a bad cheater, and two, because you keep putting dumb shit on the internet. Stop it. Stop it. I'm so frustrated with him. I've been convinced, and I've said this also many times, I am convinced that his wife is the brains behind their whole operation. I see her on the cover of magazines. I see her with a podcast. I've seen her with a microphone in hand. She said something about resting in brokenness, and I was like, ma'am, that's not a good word. I don't like what she did. I understand why she did it. People do crazy shit when they're trying to keep their house in order. I've done it. There are chapters I do not read out loud because they are embarrassing as fuck. I don't judge her for that. But I hope she knows her worth. I hope she knows that the reason he made this grand declaration is because he sees her on her way out the door. That's what this, this whole thing read like to me. And I hope she knows that she's free to go. But I hope she knows that she is the bag in this situation. He is a man. She can find another one. They out here. They exist. She ain't going to be dealing with a new scandal or a new headline or some new, some new nonsense every nine months. Because that's the trajectory that he's on right now. Pray. Pray for her. He wraps up his very lengthy, it was a good 500 words. He wraps up his very lengthy post. He says, I must do the work to earn your trust. I feel like that's the exact same thing he said the first time, but okay. He says, I've lived a life I'm not proud of in so many areas, but before I die, I will be the man God intended and the husband that your heart can rest with. Before you die, sir, you're 40 and change. I understand that working on self is a goddamn process. You can't even give the woman like before the end of the year, before the end of 2021, before I die. How long is she supposed to put up? Oh, okay. I have to stop. I have to stop. Fuck this man. Oh my God. Fuck this man. May this woman find peace. That's all I have to say. I was like blow a gasket talking about this shit. I have to stop talking about John Gray. He, oh my God. He drives me nuts. He drives me nuts. There's like a million more things that we could talk about because we haven't talked for like three weeks. But I'm going to bring this podcast to a close because I think I've talked about all the shit that I find relevant and I'm just not having a conversation just to talk about things that I'm not interested in. Oh, I don't know how I didn't mention this at the top of the podcast. Don't Waste Your Pretty has an air date. I can't tell you what it is yet because I have to wait for the network to announce it. But if you're a faithful listener of the podcast, you know that I had a dream date for the release of the movie. And I didn't get my dream date, but the date is not far off from the dream date. Okay, that's everything. That's most things. There's way too much going on to cover everything. I've got my rest, so we'll be back again next week. So talk soon. Okay, bye. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.